Welcome to the Bonner Meinhof Podcast. I am your host, Richard Huffman, expert in all things Bonner Meinhof. We talk about left-wing urban German terrorism of the 1970s, the Bader Meinhof gang, the June 2nd movement, the Red Army faction, student radicalism, and other related ephemera. It is the only podcast devoted to, yet unaffiliated with, the Bader Meinhof gang. And uh, today I wanted to talk about the Occupy Wall Street protests and a similar movement that was taking place in Germany in the late 60s that offers some interesting parallels. Um, And the movement I'm talking about is called the APO, which is obviously an acronym. And it's an acronym for uh, uh, two words in German that that my German is so bad and embarrassing, but I'm going to try to say it for you. It is um, Auscher Parliamentarische Opposition which means extra parliamentary opposition. And there's a number of features of the APO movement that you might find similar to the Occupy Wall Street movement. It was generally considered leaderless, um, though there were strong voices associated with it. Their policy was not really to engage the power structures directly, but to fight them. Um, They had few concrete demands, though their goals were pretty clear. And they believed that the power structure had stopped representing them in any real meaningful way. It was also this kind of multi-headed hydra that touched virtually every major city in Germany. And it was less of an organization than it was kind of a mindset. So to see how the APO came into being, you have to look at the critical year of, of 1966. This was the year of federal elections in Germany. And Germany's a, a parliamentary Um, uh, Germany is governed by a parliamentary system, West Germany at the time. And there was two prominent major political parties. There was the CDU, which was the Christian Democratic Union, which was the conservative party, roughly akin to the maybe the Tories or the Republicans. And then there was the SPD, which was the major leftist party, left wing party, which was roughly akin to the Democratic Democratic Party or the um, or the Labour Party in, in the UK. And but there was also like some minor parties. And because of this, neither of the major parties received a majority, a plurality of votes. So they had to form a coalition. Usually you do that with one of the minor parties. You give them, you know, some um, minister seats or, or some other stuff. And, and, and you, co- you form a coalition with them to go against the other major party. But in this case, they couldn't do that. So they ended up forming a kind of a super government that was formed with the members of the CDU and the SPD forming a government that ended up representing 95% of the Bundestag, which was the parliament of Germany at the time. And it was called at the time the Grand Coalition. And um, it was it was tremendously scary and, and, uh, and frustrating for a lot of young people in Germany. They were thinking, if they, if 95% of everything of, of this government is represented as the government and only 5% is the opposition, is that really an opposition? We need our own opposition. So that's why they formed what they call the extra parliamentary opposition to oppose this government to a certain extent from outside of parliament. So what did the APO stand for? What were their specific goals? Well, as I said before, often it was kind of vague, but if you, if you narrowed it down, there were some very specific things that, that was uh, 
that was part of pretty much all of their thought process. One was they were opposed to these so-called emergency laws that were being put into place or trying to be put into place by the Grand Coalition. These were laws that were designed to... Um, that, that, that were going to be put into essentially the constitution, the basic law of Germany, um, that would allow the government to enact and restrict people's civil rights in times of emergency. And this was pushed by the, 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 the powers that were overseeing Germany at the time, the four powers, the France, um, I mean, the three powers that were overseeing West Germany, which was France, the UK, and the United States, um, but it was definitely opposed by the APO. Um, they were also looking for a more a democrat, uh, more democracy in the um, in the university system. People think of the university systems as this perpetual bastion of liberal thought, but at least in West Germany, this definitely wasn't always this way. If you look back to the 30s, 40s, the university system was where. Um, fascism often took root. It was where it was where a lot of the future leaders of the Nazi parties got their training. They were very rigidly structured. They were very elitist, and and a lot of that actually had carried through all the way into the '60s. They were very rigidly structured, and a lot of people wanted a greater say in how their professors were picked, how they were, how they themselves were graded, how their professors were rated. Um, they also, the APL also had a fervent opposition to the Vietnam War, and they were obviously um, connected Germany to the Vietnam War because Germany supported America in almost everything at the time. And they were also very strongly supportive of, of ways to to expose the Nazi past of Germany because they felt that, and they were quite right that the Nazi past had been utterly swept under the rug after the war and denazification had stopped. And what had happened was German society is, was full in both politics and, and manufacturing and industrial society was full of former Nazis still in power and nobody was talking about it. And, and they were, they believe there was this hidden fascist element in German society, and they wanted this to be known and exposed and, and, and examined. So it's hard to talk about the APO without talking about Rudi Duchka. So unlike Occupy Wall Street, where there really isn't any specific spokesperson, even in the APO, there, there wasn't any official spokesperson, but Rudi Duchka was definitely the most prominent person associated with the APO. He was known as Red Rudy. That was sort of a name given to him by the hated conservative Springer Press. And if you listen to my the last podcast where I interviewed uh, Carl Tai, um, a UK writer, he talked a bit about Rudy Duchka and his relationship with the Springer Press. So Rudy Duchka um, was this kind of firebrand who at times as he was sort of developing his theories and political thought, he was thinking, well, you know, of course we want to have revolution. And he was thinking maybe revolution should come through violence. He, he would talk about that openly. And then later he, he more backtracked and, and really settled on this notion of a long march through the institutions, as he called it, this idea that, that people should, um, they should get involved in local politics, get involved in their society and start changing it from, from within. So, at the time, the APO, the way you would know and hear and think about the APO at the time was was mostly for these hundreds of demonstrations that you'd see in every major city 
all of the time. And these, these, these went on pretty much um, all through the late 60s. They really sort of came into their own in 60, late 67 or, uh, and, and 1968. And there was kind of two seminal incidents in the sort of history of this notion of the APO. One was um, June 2nd, 1967. This was one, in a, a riot in Berlin. Um, there was a protest going on, and it was students and others that were protesting um, the sort of fetting of, of the Shah of Iran who was in town to see the opera and meet political leaders. And the students rightfully thought this is a horrible f- dictator who kills his own citizens. Why are we celebrating him? Well, at this riot, a, 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 um, a young pacifist protester at his first, ro- at his first protest was killed by a uh, German policeman. His name was Benno Onesorg. And this was a real defining moment for a lot of people. And then the following year, there was another riot that happened. And it happened the day after, or actually maybe it was the night of, um, an, an attempted assassination on Rudy Duchka. This, this right-wing house painter named Joseph Bachman shot him several times as he was coming out of the drugstore and, and almost killed him. And... Student, students and others converged on the Springer Press building in Berlin and, and held this huge riot to try and stop them from sending their papers out into the, into the streets. And um, these two incidents kind of were defining moments for a lot of people in this movement because they were, they were violent, although it wasn't necessarily the students that were promulgating the violence, at least the first time. By the second riot, they, to a certain extent, absolutely were. And it also was this kind of defining moment with a lot of people as they started to ask themselves, are we accomplishing anything? Are we accomplishing any of these goals? Are we stopping the war in Vietnam? Are we exposing the Nazi past of Germany? And, and what happened was a lot of the people started kind of forming into two camps. And in reality, one camp, only a few people went towards, but it, it's, of course, defined my major area of study of the last 15 years. These are people that got tired of these, of uh, these riots and this stuff and felt that they needed to do something else. After the June 2nd riot, Gudrun Enslin, who had been a very active participant in a lot of these APOs um, uh, protests and, and actions, she, she basically said, this is crazy. This is the, these are, this is the Auschwitz generation we're fighting. They don't understand, you know, this nonviolence, they understand violence and we need to meet violence with violence. She said right after the, the June 2nd riot and others like her, they basically came to the conclusion. We cannot make a difference without violence. And they were the folks that went on to form and, and, uh, and create groups like the bottom enough group, the revolutionary cells, the June 2nd movement, the red army faction, but another group and a much bigger group, were ones that started to say, yeah, we're not really affecting that much change. We're just basically going to protests every other weekend. Yet we really need to maybe heed uh, heed, uh, um, the call by Rudy Duchka to take a long march to the institutions. We need to get involved. We need to maybe become politicians, maybe become prominent people in industry. And a lot of these people ended up as the APO kind of fell apart in the end of the 60s, they were the ones that maybe went on to form 
the Green Party in the late 70s and early 80s. And the Green Party, of course, was the party that did enter German politics and actually became a coalition partner in the early 2000s with the SPD. And when America decided we're going to march to war in Iraq and tried to line up all of their partners, Germany, who has been the strongest ally of America for 45 years or one of the strongest allies, said no. And the reason they said no was because the government was populated by former members of the APO, current members of the Green Party. You know, what what had happened was the, all of this um, thought and protest and this movement that started in the 60s kind of paid off 35 years later. So what lesson can we learn, can the Occupy Wall Street folks learn from the APO? Um, well, you know, one of the obvious lessons is is that, you know, a mass movement that involves active participation coupled with non-specific goals, it's hard to sustain. I mean, it's actually pretty much impossible to sustain. It's, it's hard to keep doing that same thing over and over with just these nebulous goals. Um, so if you're a supporter of the Occupy Wall Street folks, and of course I generally am, um, probably the best thing for them has been to a to a certain extent was actually the cleaning up of of all the like the government's coming in and shutting down some of these locations where all these tent cities is formed up because because they were going to be hard to sustain anyway and it gives them a chance to channel their energies into other areas um, and and another fortunate lesson that not that they're learning it from the APO but but it's a good takeaway is that that. Um, I haven't heard many Occupy Wall Street folks saying that, wow, we haven't accomplished our goals, so maybe we need to start violently, you know, start with some violence and attacking the state through violence, um, which is good because um, as, and I think that the number one theme of my work and my and my website and everything else is that the bottom INF group and these others that, that sought to affect societal change through violence ended up in pretty much every conceivable way, every measurable way, ended up making society actually worse than what they were hoping for. They ended up moving society in exactly the opposite direction in almost every identifiable way. They were a failure on every level. And I could not imagine anything else, anything different happening um, uh, for the Occupy Wall Street folks if some of them decided that violence was the answer. So, and perhaps the biggest legacy that that they could learn, the Occupy Wall Street folks could learn from the APO is the value of taking that long march through the institutions. I saw, I've seen on TV and seen interviewed a lot of incredibly smart, articulate, clearly far-sighted individuals that look to be in their like early 20s. And I'm thinking, dang, these people really would and and could make outstanding leaders of the future, the future leadership of the party they don't really like right now, which is the Democratic Party, they could become a leader of that and really make a profound change if they start their own march to the institutions. Um, so anyway, that's that's the APO, uh, uh, a movement that has very strong similarities, I feel, to the current Occupy uh, Wall Street movement. So a little bit of housekeeping. Again, if you have any comments, feel free to send me an email. You can go to my website and go to the contact form or even better, go to my forum, sign up for the forum and 
Put in any question you like. I answer every single one or, or put a comment in the forum. Um, I, I, you, if you've been to our, the new homepage, you'll see that I've kind of changed it up and have these big fun graphics in there and stuff. And one of the things that I've highlighted is a new article I put up recently about Viva Maria, which is the this crazy of its time 1960s movie that was beloved by all these people that went on to become terrorists. Basically they found so much meaning and excitement and in, in this movie. Um, so I talk about that and explore it. It's an interesting, uh, movie and I hope you enjoy that article and I hope you enjoy listening to my podcast. Always feel free to drop me a line. And if you subscribe through iTunes, always, I never charge this. I will never charge for this, but one way you can pay me back is by going to iTunes and leaving a nice comment and leaving a great five-star review. Thanks again. Bottom line, huh? Bottom line.